You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Okay, now that's my church right there. I was getting a little bit worried right there in the beginning of church service. I didn't see or hear the hand of God in our singing. But in the second half, we came through right there. And that's, uh, that, that's appropriate for the time marker that we are in. I want to take you back to the 80s. I want to take you back to 1986. The colors worn were teal. I mean, if I was in the 80s, I'd have a teal suit on right there. Uh, the sisters had on electric blue. You know, you, you see the electric blue eyeshadow right there, like this, looking surprised all the time. You had colors like fluorescent pink, the sweatshirt cut in half, and the pink hanging off right there. And in the 80s, if you were, if you were a white guy, your haircut was a mullet. I don't know if you had that terminology here in the UK, but a mullet was where you had this kind of curly top here in the front, then shaved on the side, then long in the back. For the white guys. But if you're a black guy, you had a jerry curl or a high top fade. Now we know the 80s have come back right there. Isaac has really blessed us with the high top fade. But the jerry curl is a wicked hairstyle from the devil. Still forgiving my mother for that. I had one of those. But you also had in 1986, you had the World Cup Finals where Argentina was in it again, there we say. And in 1986, their golden boy by the name of Maradona scored one of the most controversial, decisive victories in football history. Of course, they were in a grudge match with none other than <coughs> England. And it was a grudge match for one reason. Because four years after the Falkland War between the two nations happened, and there was still a bitterness, I believe, right there. And of course, Argentina won the match right there. And Mar Maradona, he says something very, very interesting. Don't, don't crucify me right there as I try my, 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 my other language right here. The miraculous gifts have passed, right, first principles? But Maradona says this, he says, Un poco con la mano de Dios. Give me a little grace right there. He says, a little head of Maradona, a little help with the hand of God right there. And that's really uh, the, the way we need to think. Our heads need to help us understand we need the hand of God working in our lives. And so I've just entitled the message very appropriately, the hand of God. Exodus chapter seven, the hand of God. We see the hand of God all through the Bible, but we see it here in Exodus chapter seven, starting in verse three. God says this, he says, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, He'll not listen to you. I mean, yeah, this guy that even though there were miracles to confirm the message, he still didn't listen to the almighty God. I will lay my hand on Egypt and with mighty acts of judgment, 
I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh and the church said, we see the hand of God not only demolishing the enemies, but bringing deliverance for God's people. You want victory, you need the hand of God with you. Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4, the hand of God. We see its power as you go through the scriptures. And yet we need to use our hands to allow the hand of God to guide us. In verse 22, Joshua the book of Joshua, chapter 4, says, Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you crossed over. The Lord your God did to Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord Amen. is powerful. And so that you might always fear the Lord, your God. And the church said, an incredible miracle for the people of God produced so that the world would know that the hand of God is powerful, but so the people of God would fear him. Do you fear God? Do you fear God? The hand of God should be powerful in your life. The hand of God has been working through our first principle classes. Why you say, why is that? Well, we started our first principle classes, and those for you visiting, those are classes where we teach what it really means to be a true Christian, what church the Bible says you're supposed to go through. And we go through all of that because the Bible defines all that. And in the beginning, the first class that we had was seeking God, not seeking information. And we challenged people at that class to seek God with all your heart, right? Because a lot of people are seeking God. Not a lot of people are seeking God with all their heart. Preferably that's you today. The hand of God is on you, and you're seeking God with all your heart. And yet at the end of our first class, it was our brother Clever who got baptized right there. The hand of God was on him. And yet last week we had the end of our, cl our, our classes, and Joseph gets baptized right there. The hand of God is on. I don't know if we need to just keep doing first principle classes or what, but the hand of God is working powerfully in the church. Turn to Psalms chapter 37. Psalms chapter 37. Psalms saying instrument. That's what Psalms It's be great to hear the instrument right there today. And music. Worshiping our God. Psalms 37 talks about the hand of God again. In verse 23, Psalmist writes. If the Lord delights in a man's ways, he makes his steps firm, though he stumbles. He'll not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Isn't that awesome right there? God's hand upholds the righteous when they stumble. See, the problem is when you stumble, do you let God pick you back on up? Because we all stumble. But we need the hand of God to lift us back on up. I like this one, Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah was an incredible, incredible prophet. 
preacher. He was a young guy. Young people love God, right? Yep, I heard that young man, Michael, say amen. Problem is, he's not from the Netherlands. He's from a different country. We'll get there pretty, pretty soon. You'll see. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9, it says, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth. And he said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I point you over nations and kingdoms to uproot, tear down, destroy, overthrow, to build and to plant. And the church said, I mean, you see, it was the hand of God that put the word of God in the mouth of Jeremiah. And he says later on, I cannot hold it in. I got to speak it. The word is like a fire inside of me. So we understand the person that is not opening his mouth does not have the, Lord, the hand of God on it. The person is not sharing faith, does not have the hand of God on them. Because it was the hand of God that touched the lips of Jeremiah. And later on, he, I, I just can't keep the word in. I, I've got to talk about the almighty God. This is a visual symbol of the mighty hand of God touching the lips of a prophet. By faith, the mighty hand of God touched your lips this morning. And if the hand of God touches your mouth, it prompts you to speak. Isaiah chapter 41. You guys still with me here? The mini Bible. The book of Isaiah. 66 books in the Bible. The most quoted prophet in the New Testament. Of course, his story converted to Ethiopian eunuch. What an incredible, incredible prophet. He says in Isaiah 41. Radical guy. Wife was a prophetess. He gets sawed in two for his faith. Hebrews 11 teaches that. Yet it says in verse 10, so do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I'm your God. I'll strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And the church said, wow, the hand of God helps the people of God. Yeah, I got to thank everybody that helped me and Michelle move this past weekend right there. Uh, it literally was the hand of God because my hands were very tired. Same with Michelle. And uh, I want to thank, uh, first of all, uh, our brother Dale, who brought the truck on out to help us. I want to thank uh, the queen of quite a lot, Jen Watkins, right there. Uh, Jay Valine, right there. Uh, Martin Scott, who came to help, but then we had a bunch of help, and then he went back, but he had the heart to help right there. Jock and Jeanette uh, Grenewald, right there. Jock helped me a couple of different times. He helped me with a little bit of attitude I kind of had right there as well. We helped each other out in the Lord. Uh, of course, Sean the Baptist helped on out. Paul Busari, Big Dan, Josephine, Lillian, and most encouraging, Rob Williamson helped us out right there. And so I, I just believe it, it, it's, it's the hand of God that helps God's people. And he uses God's people to help God's people. This scripture helps us to understand, hey, we've got to be servants in the kingdom of God. When we are servants, it is the hand of God. Are you a servant? Are you a servant? Now, let's get into... The book of Kings. The book of Kings. First Kings chapter 18. We're going to look at Elijah. This guy was incredible. He had the power of God on him, the hand of God on him. 
and we're going to dig into the book of Kings, but we got to get a little bit of history as I've studied out Kings here a little bit, and it's giving me some insight that really I think is appropriate for us. Uh, as you go through the book of Kings, you, it, 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 you just have two types of kings in the book of Kings. You got good kings and bad kings. Guys that did evil in the sight of the Lord and guys that did awesome in the sight of the Lord. You had young kings and old kings. That should give all of us faith right there, amen? And in fact, as you dig through the history of God's people, you'll learn some things about the history of the nation of, of, of God's people. In fact, much of the Bible is, is, is a history. Uh, it's just not the history of African Americans, China, or India, or anything. It's the history of, uh, and it's not the history of England uh, as well. It's the history of one nation. Uh, and it's their history, uh, the Jewish nation, I believe that God thinks is important to us. Uh, and he thinks it's important because it's their history that, that is really uh, provides for us the platform for understanding the salvation for the nations. Right there, amen? It's the only relevant history to understand. Now, to give a little time marker here, of course, the Israelites, uh, through the promise of God, through Abraham, uh, about five, well, probably about a thousand years before they were at the height of their glory under King David. Uh, and at the height of their glory, the promises of God that, you know, through, through Abraham, your people will be as numerous as the sand on the seashores, there'll be great blessing. The, the, the height of glory is about a thousand B.C. They worked very hard to get that glory. David unified the kingdom. He unified all ten northern tribes and the two in the south. And it's tough to bring unity right there. Just try being married right there. Amen? He unified all of God's people. And so this was an incredible thing for God's people. And he was that incredible king that brought unity. Yet when you get to the book of Kings, things are going downhill real quick. You know, you can gain it all and lose it all real quick. You can gain it all and be on top of the world, and then you can lose it all. Downhill happens very fast. I've been riding my bike lately. Javeline noticed. She goes, bro, you, you lost a few pounds. I go, thank you, sister. <laughs> and yet when I come down this hill, I'm feeling awesome down Hampstead. But going up the hill, oh, my goodness, this is like death right there, you know. A girl passed me yesterday, and she's a young girl, too. I didn't want to tell that story, but I was oh my goodness, getting old right here. Uh, but, but, but going downhill fast is where they were. That's where God's people were. That's the book of Kings. They're going downhill. There's a civil war. The northern kings and the southern kings are divided. The ten tribes in the north, the two in the south. Uh, the, the ten in the north get totally decimated by the Assyrians. Uh, the south had a few challenges themselves. Uh, they had a good king, Hezekiah. Then they had uh, also another cranking king. His name was Josiah. He was only eight years old. Never underestimate the power of a young guy. He can do great things, a young leader. But sadly, Jeremiah chapter 25 prophesies that they're gonna, the southern king is going to get thrown into Babylon. And, 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 and so you have a, a, an interesting thing here. They came out of Egypt, God's people, went into, there we say, the promised land, but then they get exiled back into Babylon back into slavery. And you go, well, why, why do we need to know all of this? It can happen to you. It can happen to the church. Dare we say it can happen to a Bible talk. It can happen to any one of them. We can come out of Egypt, get into the promised land, or be headed there, which is heaven. But then we get enslaved again. And we can lose it all because the hand of God is on us, as he was on God's people. 
The leadership had different phases. You had the patriarchs for the first 500 years of the Bible. Then you had the prophets from Moses to Samuel. Then you had the kings. Of course, you had the first king they asked for, which God said not to ask for. And who was that? King Saul. All the way up to Zedekiah. Then after the kings, you have leadership under the priests. Now, the story of the book of Kings is not just, just the story of each one of the kings. It's the kingdoms of Israel. Because in Hebrew, this book, in the Hebrew book, the Hebrew Bible, it's called the kingdoms of Israel. Not first and second kings. It's the kingdoms. First kingdoms, second kingdoms. Uh, and, and I thought that was intriguing because in English, it's, of course, the kings. But in Hebrew, it has a different meaning than it does in English. In English, a kingdom is a piece of land or a realm. We're in the United Kingdom. Amen? But newsflash, it's not really that united at all. There's not one man who's united at all. Amen? For a true Israelite, dare we say an old school Christian, the kingdom was a reign much more so than a realm. The kingdom was a power much more than a place. It was defined by authority, not area. It was defined by the degree of power the king had over you. And you see the power of the kings in, this, in, in the book of Kings, not the area where you live. So the kingdom of God essentially is God's power in your life, God's hand in your life. Not God's place in your life, but God's power over your life. Are you guys with me here? His total power over you as king. Now, of course, here in, in England, we're, what, we're a constitutional monarchy right there, right? Where the queen, she, she reigns, uh, but she doesn't rule. It's David Cameron. He's the guy that rules, right? So, so, that, so that taught me something. Even as, before I dug in, that, that, that we're robbed of the throne's power here in England. That's the culture we live in. The throne has no power in this country. The only advantage is that it keeps power out of everybody else's hands. But in God's kingdom, he has absolute power. There's no, there's no vote, no parliament, no opposition, no parties that get to debate your decisions. The king rules. Would you like to be in this kind of kingdom? One man votes, no election, no parliament. One man decides everything. I can convince you in a couple of, couple of you don't, don't want to do that. I can convince you in a couple of seconds. If the king loved the weak, if the king loved the poor, if the king loved the sick, if the king even forgave sinners, you'd want to be in that kingdom. See, the kingdom totally depends on the character of the king. You see that in the book of Kings. And as leaders, we, we, we get convicted by that, right? So we need to understand when you study kings, the Hebrew would say you're studying the kingdoms of Israel. And the kingdom was the rule of a man. There was only one standard at that time for whether this guy was good or evil, and that was King David. You were like King David, you were awesome. You cranked. If you were not like King David, you tanked. Are you guys with me here? So now we, we see the mighty hand of God ruling through the kings, good or bad, because God is sovereign. 
Everything in life that happens, he allows it or he causes it. 1 Kings chapter 18. The hand of God is powerful. The hand of God is powerful. We're going to look at the most wicked king here. And before we look, I got a question for you. Who rules your life? Who has absolute power? Who is it that you don't debate with? You don't need any advice. When he says it, that settles it. Who totally rules you right now? Of course, if it's you, that means you're a king. And we understand that God is our king. Amen? The hand of God is powerful. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 16. We're going to look at Elijah here. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab. Of course, he's one of the most evil kings in the book of Kings. And he told him, Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I don't make trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's command and have followed the Baals. Now some of the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. This is a showdown, baby. It's kind of like tonight. There's going to be a showdown. It's going to be a showdown. Who's going to get the cup right there? And, and, and this is the showdown right there. And I put before you, you have a showdown every single day. You have a showdown between Baal and between God every single day. You want me to tell you when the showdown happens? It's not when you are in the tube. It's not when you're at your work. It's not when you step onto the campus. It, it, it's not. It's when you get out of bed. That's the first battle you face. Whether you're going to worship Baal, manifest through Facebook or whatever else, or you're going to get into the Bible. Where you're going to worship yourself and you got to get your coffee and do your makeup and walk around and think and go outside and get something to eat and do all these things. And an hour, two hours later, then you want to read the Bible. Whether you're a brother and you sin like me and the first sound you hear is, dun, 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 which is ESPN. <laughs> I've sinned before. I got up. Yeah, I got to check the scores real quick. That's the sound we have every day. That's Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is your bedroom. When you get out of bed and decide, I have decided to follow Jesus. He says, and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Jezebel, not a pretty awesome lady right there. So we see 800 prophets that should be showing up. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went up before the people and he said, how long will you waver between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the church said, Amen. see, the hand of God wasn't powerful in their life. Here's what happened. When God gave them what they wanted, they worshiped God. But when God disappointed them, they went to Baal. But then when Baal disappointed them, they went to God. But then God would disappoint them and they go to Baal. And they go left then right. And that was their life. Swinging back and forth. Can you relate? God disappoints you, and, and you want to turn to Baal, a false god. Whatever that is, many false gods. But then the false god disappoints you, and you want to turn back to God. You know, it's so great. We're having a lot of remnant brothers and sisters 
wanting to move. Of course, we got Amsterdam moving, we got Spain moving, but last night I got a call from a brother that was in Amsterdam, or the Spanish remnant group, and, and, and there we say he messed up in the church. But he messed up big time, and, and, and he caused a lot of people to fall away, and on top of him really falling away himself. He calls Carlos pleading, I want to come back to God. I, I, went, I went away, and I see it's futile. I want to stop wavering. I want to come back. I told Carlos immediately. Carlos says, should I, should I have him back? I go, yes, Carlos. <laughs> we are not the king. God is, and he's a king of forgiveness right there. So God, okay, amen. So, 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 so I said, Carlos, tell him that he needs to come to London. And so Carlos is literally working on another remnant brother who wants to be restored, who wants to come to visit the church here uh, and see what's going on, because I believe the hand of God is working right there. Amen. Amen. And this is a great story of a man who, who went to bail and it didn't work. But then he went to God. And so, so now he's got to stop wavering. And yet there's a lesson for us to not waver. God is your king. Period. Do not waver between two opinions. That can play out in many different ways. That can play out in your marriage. Things get disappointing. God's no longer king. That can play out as a single. Things get disappointing. God is no longer your king. That can play out even amongst the young people. Don't have a bunch of friends at, at, at high school because you're a disciple. God no longer becomes your king. Because God doesn't promise popularity. He promises that you will make it to heaven if you have the guts to stand faithful and accept the fact his son was murdered and tortured for your sin. Are you guys with me here? Verse 22. Elijah said to them, I am the only one. The Lord's prophet left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let us choose one for themselves and cut the pieces and put the wood, but not set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God. I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. And the church said, how does God answer? By fire. You know, sometimes fire gets in our life. In Isaiah, it says that fire gets underneath a piece of metal. It says God has come to test you as in the, as, as you test silver or test gold. How is gold and silver tested? There's fire that's underneath it. And then once the fire gets underneath it, all the impurities in the gold come out because it's not pure gold. There are foreign metals that are in there. Then the, the blacksmith wipes the fire or the, the dross away, the impurities, then puts more fire underneath it until he sees his image in the, in the, in the gold. And once he sees his image, he goes, okay. And that's God with us. Once he sees his image in your life, he goes, okay, I've answered by fire. But oftentimes when things aren't going our way and they're challenging in our life, we go, that God's not answering, it's the devil. No, it's, God is answering. He's answering by fire. He's allowed some fire to get in your, your marriage. He's allowed some fire to get in your relationships. He's allowed some fire to, to, to he allowed fire to come on me this weekend with the move. I had some bitterness right there. And man, I had to, oh, man, this is a challenging thing, moving. I saw and we have all the stuff we're buying. My goodness, we collected a lot of sin. <laughs> then I had to move all my sin to the next place. Thank God I had the help of God's people. My hands were tired, but I, but I, you know, the hand of God gets on us. That fire, God answers by fire. I believe there's got to be fire in the church. God's hand is shown when there's fire amongst 
the entire church. That's how he answers. When the teens are fired up. When the marrieds are fired up. When the singles are fired up. Hmm. Yeah, God isn't answering for the teens and the marrieds. And you're in jeopardy when God is no longer answering you. He answers by fire. Verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it on the name of your, of, of your God, but don't light fire. So they took the bull, given, prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling or maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened, gone on holiday or something like that. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until the blood flowed. They cut themselves. And yet, you know, this is taught nowadays as a cool thing to do, to cut yourself as a way to feel. And young people are doing this right now. And yet we've got to have the hand of God in our lives to reach out to them. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes, descendants of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it. He dug a trench round round it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill your jars with water and pour it on the offering of the wood. Do it again, he said. They did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. I like this. Elijah's giving the enemies of God orders, and they're obedient. <laughs> the water ran down around the altar, even filled the trench. At that time, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O oh Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O oh Lord. Answer me so the people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Look at his heart, his motive. Answer me so people will know you're turning their hearts back to you. Is that your heart for prayer? Answer me so people will know there's a God in London. And you're turning your heart, their hearts back to you. This has got to be our prayer. God will answer that kind of prayer. He'll answer that kind of prayer. What happens? Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell on, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil. Also licked up the water in the trench. All the people saw this. They fell prostrate and cried, oh, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them. Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. Verse 46, the power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran about 25 miles. He ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. And the church said, what's cool about this is in verse 46, the English Standard Version says, the hand of God came upon Elijah, and he ran ahead 25 miles to Jezreel. The hand of God is powerful. The hand of God is powerful. 
is the hand of God on you? Is the hand of God on you? Do you see mighty power in your life? Do you want to see the power of God in your life? Are you experiencing a mighty power in your life? I like some of the questions asked. He says, how long will you waver? How long will you waver? You know, we, we've got a lot of individuals that, that have come around to the London National Christian Church for a little bit of time here. And, and you're, dare we say, studying the Bible. The question I would ask is, how long are you going to waver? How long are you going to sit on the fence? For those of us that are true disciples, how long will you waver? The Israelites, these are God's people. They wanted the best of both worlds. I've come to a conviction. You're not going to get the best of both worlds. You're not going to have this cranking worldly life and be a sold-out disciple. You're not going to be having a bunch of money and walking around and being all worldly and sold out at the same time. You can't worship Baal and worship God and then get mad at God. You, you, no, 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 no. I, I, I tried it. I wanted it. I said, man, how can I be in the kingdom but in the world as well? Don't tell me I'm the only one thought that. I know. How can I be in the world and in the kingdom and try to be, get the best of both worlds? Doesn't work. And if you go back and look at the people said nothing. They were so convicted. We can't waver between two opinions. Cool thing that God does is when, when you decide to get all into the kingdom, then he'll give you an awesome life. But when you're trying to hold on to have this worldly life, but also be a sold-out disciple, you are wavering between two opinions. You're wavering. And this is not the case that it should be for the people of God. It's what I call using God instead of worshiping God. We've, we've got to worship God. We cannot use him. God, I'll be committed if you give me a husband. God, I'll give, be committed if you give me a girlfriend. God, I'll be committed. We've we got to worship God. He's that awesome king. He's that awesome. He, he's got your best interest. He totally knows what he's doing with, 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 with who he's, for you singles. He knows exactly who, who he's got picked out for you. He's got your husband and wife picked out. Will you let God pick? Mm, not many amens. That's why there's not many marriages. You're going to sit there single until you let God be king. Because he's got to be more important than a marriage. Because then you get married, you worship the husband. And for those of us that are married, who do you worship? God or your husband or your wife? That can get you in trouble, man. Husbands are terrible gods. We're insensitive. We don't like talking. We're not emotional. Women say, I want a guy who listens to me, who understands me, understands my feelings. No, you want, a, you want a sister. That's what you want. You want a sister. That, that's not a, a husband is, is a guy. He goes in a cave. He, he's, he's rough. He, he, he takes all of his clothes off right there at the bed and gets in. I mean, that, that's a husband. But God is awesome. God cranks. God is amazing. And if you're a wife and you love your husband more than you love God, 
it shows because you struggle submitting to that husband because you take your eyes off of God. If you're a husband and you struggle leading your wife, you've got to give yourself up like Christ gave himself up for us, making her holy and making sure she's fired up in the Lord. You're responsible. may not be your fault for the condition of things, but you are totally responsible. We can't waver between two opinions. We've got to let the powerful hand of the Lord get on us right there. Are you guys with me here? Well, we close out Elijah. We won't get to his session of depression right there because he gets depressed after that and God comes and speaks to him in a little wind right there and there's a lesson. We always, we can get down and God is not into being fire sometimes. He's just in that gentle whisper. And that's how God is speaking sometimes. But we also understand the hand of God can get heavy. First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five. You guys still with me? Michael gave me the time marker. I'm coming in for a close. First Peter chapter five. Verse six. Humble yourselves. Man, we just stop right there. <laughs> Not get humiliated. But humble yourselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on your discipleship page. Because they are the king. Oh, I'm sorry. Cast all your anxiety on your kids. I mean, you be stressed and wonder why your kids are stressed. Cast all your anxiety on your wife, because after all, the wife is just as strong as you, husband. And wives, cast all your anxiety on your husband. They won't crack and break and go into a cave. No. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Who do you turn to? When the hand of God gets on you and it gets a little heavy. God's hand can get on you. And it can be a little heavy. But that's the moment he's trying to make you great. A lot of people think, oh, pressure is not of God. Pressure is totally of God. It takes pressure to make a diamond. And God will put pressure on you to make you a diamond disciple. But when that happens, be humble. Don't be hostile. When the pressure gets on you, don't, don't, just be humble. Don't be mad. When God starts ripping through your life and humble, just be humble. You're not so fired about one of the guys getting baptized today. His name is Michael. And from hailing from Bulgaria right there, I, I, I said, I said Mike, what, what was it for? He said, God just started ripping through my life. And my sins were on me. I was being dishonest. And the hand of God came on me heavy. And there were some, some challenging things that happened to him as a young man. And you know what? He didn't get mad at God. He says, I need to become a Christian. 
I need to, I need to change my life. And I think that miracle, I'm going to claim it personally, I think that was for me. Because I remember having the hand of God come on me. I was dishonest. I, was, I lied. I, I, I got arrested. I went to jail for, being, for lying. And the hand of God came on me. I said, I'm done with that. I'm going to turn myself into you. I know the hand is heavy because you, 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 you want me to be a, a man of honor. Not dishonest. I became a disciple. I'm so grateful. And it's so cool when the hand of God can remind you. Michael's come today to be baptized. He submitted. We got another baptism. You say, what's his name? What's Miguel, but that's Spanish for Michael. I think the hand of God is just on me today. Trying to humble, just keep me before you just stay humble, Michael. Stay down. Get down. Get out. And Miguel's special because he, he has special needs. He has special needs. And you know what his special need is? God. Miguel, what, what, what's, your, what's your challenge? He goes, you know, the biggest challenge for me was, was giving up my ideas. You can have special needs and understand you need God. Don't let someone with special needs preach to you, or don't let someone say to you, someone with special needs does not understand good from evil. Don't justify evil because they, oh, they have special needs, so they're cursing, they're swearing, they're lusting, they're doing, no, 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 no. Don't justify that. This miracle today of Miguel being baptized is for every one of us to be humble and submit and to go, God is telling us something. Not only can a man change, but we got to have a cranking special needs ministry where people that have these issues and challenges can come to a church that will love them and embrace them because they love God. The hand of God can get heavy. We've got to be humble. The hand of God can be against you, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 15, and Acts chapter 13, verse 8 through 11. But in closing, the hand of God is your only safety. Amen. Two scriptures. John chapter 10. The hand of God is your only safety. John chapter 10. And we'll close out in Acts chapter 11. Says this here in verse 25. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. And there lies what helps us when we're studying the Bible with people. The people that don't hear the voice of God through scriptures aren't seeking God. And so you don't study the Bible because they're not God's sheep. They're someone else's sheep. You guys with me on that one? Yeah. It says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. No one can snatch them out of what? No one can snatch them out of my hand. Isn't that cool? That no one can snatch you from the hand of God. That means Satan can't snatch you. That's, that's moving for me. That means the only way I can fall out of the hand of God is for me to pry his hands off of my life 
and, and, and then I fall away. There's safety in the hand of God. The only people that fall from God are the people that don't want God's protection. People that don't want God to hold them. God to be with them. God to protect them. God to love them. God to inspire them. They want to be in God's hand. I want to be in God's hand. I want my entire life in the hand of God. I want everything I do in his hands. What about you? For those of you that are sold out disciples, I want to challenge you to recommit yourself to get fully in the hand of God. Recommit your life to let him use it do with it whatever he wants. Let him use you however he wants. Put your life in the hand of God. It's the only protection. Now, I may not feel like he's protecting you, but we don't live by feelings. We live by conviction. It's the hand of God that's our only safety. In Acts chapter 11, we see our closing scripture is so awesome as God has moved so powerfully here in London. It says in verse 19 of Acts chapter 11, it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. You know, it, it's been so awesome here in, in the church. Wednesday night, seeing Joseph baptized. A couple of Michaels being baptized today. And yet that is, I believe, edition number 25 or 26 this year. Just this year. And yet last year, in total, we had 43. In total. So, so even though I think the hand of God needs to get on all of us, we're poised for an incredible year. Can you imagine? If, if the hand of God got on more than just one group or one individual, if the hand of God got on that brother, the hand of God got on the system. And you just saw scores of people coming out of false teaching churches, coming out of Pentecostalism, coming out of Catholicism, coming out of atheism. Disciples coming back, falling down, saying, Baal didn't work. Disciples that, that, that are part of the remnant saying, I'm going back home. I don't care how long the journey is. And the, the, the hand of God just gets on us. Imagine if the hand of God truly gets on us here in London. Where we all put our lives back in the hand of God and said, use us however. Use us however. You want me to be sick to show that I can still be committed to God? Sick of that. You want me to be poor? Take everything away. 
You want me to lead, even though I don't know what I'm doing, world sector leader? Oh, my goodness, I'm freaked out, but amen. Use me. For I know your hand is the only safe place to place my life. To God be all the glory. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H dot org dot UK. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events or devotionals you can find all that on our website also once again we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one